0: Hello, and welcome to Constructing Success, a sales, lifestyle, business, and performance podcast. I could not be more excited for the guest I have joining me today. He is, in my opinion, the man, the myth, the legend. He is a founder of two companies currently, but what we're gonna dig into today is things haven't always been so smooth, and we're gonna deconstruct what it took to get from a college dropout all the way to being in the C suite of these companies and on executive level boards without further ado I would like to introduce you to John Chapman. John, thank you for joining me today.
1: Absolutely, man. Happy to be here.
0: And where uh, where are you currently? Denver, Colorado. Denver, Colorado. And I have to ask because it seems like you are always in a new city or a different country these days.
1: Um, yeah, dude, constantly, constantly on the move, but, uh, Denver is headquarters for both organizations right now, able to work on the road a ton, got a great team behind me. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, physically physical location right now is uh, Denver, Colorado in a new facility. It's a little sterile at the moment, uh, but just moved into a, a 10,000 square foot warehouse and, uh, and slowly building it out. Um, with the intent that both, both organizations will have a footprint, uh, in this facility.
0: Okay. And when you say both organizations, that's
1: Liberty Dynamic and SimWorks? Correct. Yep. Yeah. We're going to be running some manufacturing ops for Liberty Dynamic from this location, but we're also building out a complete prototyping facility, 3D printing uh, capabilities, electronics, CNC machines, uh, something that... If I would have had access to when I was starting up a, a company uh, several years ago, would have really pushed it forward. So we're going to be opening up those prototyping um, capabilities to other veteran entrepreneurs that are trying to make physical product and kick it out to the space. Um, and uh, those resources are going to be good for uh, SimWorks as well when it, as we start to progress the company further into physical products.
0: OK, and so we've, we've got both companies. I cannot speak... As eloquently as you can about them take your pick which uh which one do you want to talk about first
1: uh we'll go into the lineage of which one was started first and that would be liberty dynamic the, the non-lethal company
0: all right so tell me how did you come up with uh, with liberty dynamic and give us a little bit of background
1: yeah absolutely so Background uh, for, for why this technology is important uh, stems from my time in the military, a specific force reconnaissance. Um, it is uh, non-lethal tools are utilized by military we are highly trained how to use it, discretion or otherwise, uh, through government surplus, those same tools are now in the hands of law enforcement. Um, Good, bad or indifferent, Uh, they hurt themselves, they hurt civilians, and they also cause millions upon millions of dollars worth of damage to private property which in turn, uh, taxpayers like me and you uh, end up uh, settling the, those civil suits. And we took a approach to start in a very niche market to re-engineer uh, all the faults out of a current piece of technology. Hollywood dubs them flashbangs, um, but uh, they're noise flash diversion devices. So if you think in uh, in a Hollywood setting, you have a... Hostage situation, so civilians and there's bad guys holding uh, holding these hostages and the good guys are going to come in. They throw this device into the room, bright light, loud noise, good guys come in, save the day. That's a flashbang. Um, currently, the current tech has smoke, secondary flammability, um, instability when it comes to uh, the safety mechanics. And so we took... Um, All of those faults engineered uh, uh, the faults out to create a true novel approach. So same physiological parameters, uh, achieves everything that the military-grade equipment does, but does not uh, cause that collateral damage. Uh, We have uh, achieved pretty phenomenal uh, market penetration. Uh, Multitude of federal uh, teams have adopted, which is a very hard um, nut to crack into, Uh, and then also uh, hundreds of... Uh, state, local uh, SWAT teams and this is through uh, word of mouth and we can we can dive into um, that later. But this is with a minimal marketing budget, but it is designing a product that speaks for itself. And so we're not paying for clicks. We're not paying for people to adopt our product. It is a, a good enough product that the first person gets it like this is fucking awesome. All right, we're going to, you know, tell my next guy about it. We're going to tell the next guy about it. And, and we've built a grassroots uh, following through um, just a truly better uh, product for the the mission at hand Um, and then we we have some great transition um, into robotic delivery of non-lethals and this is uh, a lot of fun R&D that we're working on and this is taking uh, handheld devices miniaturizing it to be deployed robotically so if you look at the success rate that has happened in Ukraine with the weaponization of drones on the lethal side um, we've been uh, really leading the charge and pushing forward uh, uh, with the same initiative. On, on the non-lethal front. And, uh, and that's kind of the next evolution into a blue ocean for, uh, for Liberty Dynamic. Where, where did the idea for this come from? The enabling technology, and this is uh, another uh, thing that I, I really want to unpack at some point during this conversation. The federal government uh, dumps billions and billions of dollars into federal research initiatives. Um, a lot of those are not taken out of a research lab and commercialized properly. So if you think of the, if you think of scientists and researchers, these these are not business people. These are people that just like to research our enabling technology for Liberty was originally developed in a research lab and it, nothing was ever done with it. It wasn't properly commercialized and it was just some, some brilliant tech, you know, millions of dollars was spent on it. And it, it was just sitting there right for the picking, um, you know, taking the, the enabling technology, repackaging it with the, you know, insider information that I have when it comes to use cases allowed us to go out and, um, and, and properly commercialize, uh, what was previously, uh, federally backed research. Uh, Fast forward, this was six years ago, fast forward to present day, there is massive uh, movement within the federal research community. This includes uh, university research. uh, This includes NASA, Sandia, uh, Los Alamos, all these federally backed research labs that has tons of patents that they are looking for entrepreneurs to come in take these patents or take this technology and properly commercialize it. If you go to NASA's website right now, you can go through and literally like it's a shopping cart of pre-existing NASA IP that hasn't been properly commercialized that you as an entrepreneur, as a business person can uh, strike up a very very reasonable licensing agreement and go out and take that. So, oh man, I don't have the dollars. I don't have the time. Well, there is billions of dollars of great tech that just hasn't been taken out of a research environment um to to go forward and um, yeah we can we can discuss that later so so this is new to me
0: i i had no understanding of this so any so almost anybody can go to one of these websites and find a an opportunity or a plan that wasn't fully executed and if they have the right uh business model put together Theoretically, they can pick that up and run with it with funding. Uh, With
1: without funding. Without funding. So you as the entrepreneur will have to figure out how to commercialize it. It is here's the enabling technology. Here's all the test data. Here's the rights to the patents. You go forth and and figure it out. So you will have to utilize that and under your fund fundraising mechanism. But that also speaks pretty highly of you be like, hey, I'm looking for money, oh, I have a $15 million IP portfolio that we have licensed at, you know, X, uh, X rate in perpetuity to bring this to market. Here's my business plan, here's the enabling technology, give me a couple bucks, I'm gonna go at full sprint. There's a there's another program that Ensign um, puts together and they actually build out the startup team and they do this on a biannual basis uh, where they, uh, you apply, and they look at the, you know, the, the three profiles of what it takes to start a company. Uh, the, you know, the, the creative, the technical, the business person. And so they look at your background. They mate you up with other co-founders that they think would be successful uh, you'd be successful with. And then they help you identify federally backed research dollars and pretty much construct a team. And they are looking for a wide variety of, of backgrounds from you know, high school, military, um, PhDs. Uh, you know, gender diversity, uh, background diversity, because you know what startup teams actually take is like you know you don't want to you don't want to find a a buddy that that you know looks like you talks like you and doesn't augment you in a very different way. Like you want a you want a founding team that is completely diversified that complements your strengths, and their programming is really looking and and trying to pull on those threads of of forcing you into. Um, a co-founder relationship with uh, with people that you know again will will plug the holes that that you don't have as a as an entrepreneur. And was <clears throat> was that the route that you went for funding, or did you come up with your own plan? Um, came up with uh, with my own plan initially on. Uh, Liberty dynamic on the the non-lethal so the the funding mechanism um, working overseas as a defense contractor you know you have um, you know no expendable income uh, I'm sorry you have, you have basically no expenses whatsoever so all you do is a stack and stack and stacking so for me on Liberty I push the company, to appoint NVP so a minimal viable product that actually had teeth behind it so self-funded blood sweat and tears um, and and my own resources before I went out to seek a uh, high net worth individual for um, uh, for an investment into Liberty so basically I was able to launch Liberty on a friends and family raise without any subsequent funding um, but we had we had uh, federally backed research dollars that actually, uh, did perpetuate some other, uh, initiatives that we can, we can get into those. Cause I have been very successful with the medical company utilizing non-dilutive capital, uh, in that manner. Uh, so the both, both companies took a little bit of a uh, different path on, uh, on funding, but I think with a lot of people, um, you know, it is there, there's all these different antics where, you know, don't use your own money. Play with other people's money. I, I think there's, I think there's, you know, some value in that. But to get the the proper terms, to get people to to trust in what you're doing, and, you know, getting getting your idea, getting your product, getting your uh, services to a to a certain point that you can showcase either technical viability, some sort of uh, customer penetration, uh, before going asking for money, uh, you, you're in a much better position. And I want to I want
0: to take a step back and earmark something just so so the listeners understand and so that I understand as well. Um, you said that you had funded it with, uh, or I heard that you had funded it with independent contracting. Yes. What is independent contracting?
1: I had a very fortunate experience in the in the military. Um, I was able to knock out a, a ton of different. Um, schools that allowed me when I decided to get out of the military to jump straight into defense contracting uh, historically with the where I jumped into in defense contracting um, it was guys with 8 12 16 years of special operations background in, in different capacities to, to onboard um, but uh, through through networking uh, through the the rapid succession of schools that I went to in the military I was able to jump into uh, some pretty excitable and well-paying defense contracting opportunities um, that um, that whole experience uh, was about eight and a half nine years overseas uh, this is jumping in between Afghanistan Iraq Syria Turkey uh, was pretty much my my primary um, area of operation um, during that time was my exposure to, Technology and how technology can impact in a defense uh, defense setting. So, first company, um, you know, most people are aware of Blackwater. Um, this was a subsidiary, uh, kind of an offshoot of Blackwater, where I cut my teeth, um, but very rapidly um, realized that I was not moving forward in the direction that I wanted to uh, in in a future professional sense like yeah was it was it fun um you know grow out our beards we you know run and guns you know without any with very little oversight you know small team you know embedded with uh, local militia or the Afghan border patrol um so as far as like the excitement level um absolutely you know uh, top notch but at some point, um, gunslinging and, um, tactical training, you know, where, where is that going to get me later in life? And so I made a a very strategic decision to pivot and move into a company called SAIC, uh, science application, international corporation. Uh, this organization, you know, it's a a multi-billion dollar company, you know, tens of thousands of employees, but our small business group was responsible for the integration of technology all across the battle space. And so this is, uh, combat outposts, forward operating bases, uh, embassies—making sure that the fortify, um, the physical structure of these facilities were properly fortified um, through technology. So whether it is biometrics or cameras or um, anti-tunneling um, barriers on. Um, barriers on the, the ECP or the entry control point. So a wide variety uh, of different technologies all network together. And the other interesting thing about that particular contract was during the the buildup of Iraq um, and Afghanistan, the government, the US government was just dumping uh, billions and billions of dollars into uh, pieces of technology that weren't originally designed to work together. And this was this is really good for me to understand at a later point in what I'm doing now. So when you have a single piece of kit that is procured that is not part of a larger ecosystem, um, doesn't have a sustainment package, doesn't have any type of training package, it is just a thing, and it was never properly fielded. And we, as a government, did this over and over again. And so we had billions of dollars of equipment that was never properly fielded, never pushed into the field, uh, because it wasn't uh, the foresight uh, to make it all work together was never there. So our particular business group took all of this um, existing equipment, all of this technology that was originally there, figured out how to make it talk to each other. So cameras that weren't supposed to be networked with biometrics, that weren't supposed to be networked with ground uh, sensing uh, and anti- tunneling or barriers um, hacked it all together and then redeployed it so it was a, a, a really um, eye-opening experience of of governmental spending and but how you can actually you know make a project come together um, and then ran that for a multitude of years that was defense contracting money that ultimately I utilized to um, jumpstart uh, my company and
0: and what was it so it sounds like it was an in- an insane learning experience you were able to travel from the outside looking in it sounds like it was an exciting fun opportunity um, what was it or at what point did you make the decision that I
1: need to get out of this or I need to make a change? without getting you know too crazy political um, the the last stint was uh, Iraq and Syria. And so I had spent most of my time, and this is a majority of my 20s, um, you know, a, a lot of my youth was spent in Afghanistan, um, took a contract um, as we we as a government turned over um, all of our infrastructure in Iraq uh, back to the government of Iraq um, in a very short amount of time. Um, I don't know if like people recall, you know, ISIS and Daesh, um, the government of Iraq lost um, a lot of the country back to, to ISIS and, and, and dash in a very short, short succession. And so when I moved over to Iraq, we were literally retaking facilities, infrastructure, billions trillions of dollars of taxpayer money um we're retaking things that we just turned over a few years uh, prior so just the kind of a, a, a defeatist mentality of like you know kind of what, what are we doing here like the, like this didn't work two years ago now we're, we're redoing the same thing at that time this is 2017 you know we're doing a drawdown in afghanistan and i'm seeing you know again a majority of my 20s were just spent in this country and we saw the failure of what we just did in Iraq. Now we're retaking Iraq and we're, we're doing the exact same thing in Afghanistan of a very poorly executed draw out. And, uh, and I was, I was, I was like, man, like they're, you know, I enjoy what I do. I think there's you know amazing people, but uh, at that point it was just uh, kind of you know what 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 are we doing here? Um, and um, yeah. I think that was that was the, the the ultimate pivot for for me to come back and and see if I can make a, a different a difference within those communities, uh, but from an entrepreneurial um, standpoint. And um, yeah. So I, I'm going to jump
0: around a bit and before I continue going backwards, I want to move forward. So we've got your, you've got the contract experience, you've got the special forces experience, um, and you're learning the technical background on how to connect different cameras or security or computers and you're, you're, you're gaining a wealth of knowledge out there. At what point after Liberty Dynamic do you decide to found SimWorks? And
1: how did that come about? What was the vision? This is this is something that I am struggling with now um, and making sure that going forward, I have more of an executable plan. Uh, the company was started by accident and it is um, uh, escalating and running at an incredible rate of speed. It was, there was not a business plan. There was not a, this is how I'm going to execute. Um, but we have been able to, um, Find a niche, an underserved community, and it is it is going gangbusters. And it's uh, the entrepreneurism is uh, a combination of 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 luck, skill, and right time. And we're we're kind of in this uh, this vortex right now, which is uh, which is awesome for the team and, and the future future growth of the company. And what I say by accident um, originally, and we still have a, a nonprofit arm of the of the medical training company. Um, but we started a cadaveric skills lab in Denver, Colorado, um, not, not really well thought out, but it is something that I took tremendous, um, uh, insight from, from my military medical training, uh, defense contracting training on the use of, uh, cadavers. It is a, a brilliant learning canvas on how to understand anatomy, how to properly execute different life-saving interventions. A 501c3 not-for-profit is not eligible for research dollars, at least in the capacity that we're looking for, um, for the DOD um we found that out um through you know uh, applying for a specific initiative and they're like oh you're a non-profit you're not eligible um and that's uh, Do, DOD is
0: Department of Defense correct correct not not all of us are as well versed as you on some of these terminology or some yep. of this terminology so i got to make sure i'm on the
1: same page okay so DOD i'll uh, i'll take a i'll take it easy on the acronyms <laughs> and the <laughs> The so that basically um, forced our hand to uh, splinter off uh, a new company uh, in a for profit arena um, in medical training. And that is that's the accidental, uh, that's the accidental company uh, that was formed out of uh, just an inability to operate at the capacity we wanted to in, a, in as a nonprofit. Uh, that company has. Uh, been very, very fortunate to move through uh, non-dilutive capital uh, opportunities to answer needs in the uh, the medical training arena. Uh, what I mean by non-dilutive capital, so non-dilutive capital specific to the, the Department of Defense, um, there's non-dilutive capital in pretty much every federal sector. This is Department of Transportation, Department of Energy, um, space. I mean, every federal entity has uh, non-dilutive capital that they make micro investments into industry, um, i.e., private uh, private businesses, to uh, create new products that will ultimately be sold back to uh, the uh, the federal government as a customer. So, um, non-dilutive capital. Um, we have um, have a, an amazing hit rate for our proposals to award. And this is from my team's deep understanding of the technology barriers, the capability gaps, and like what the end user needs. And so when I do a little bit of mentoring and when I talk to other companies and, you know, and we're operating, you know, at a, you know, 75, 80% hit rate on our proposals and our conversion of our technology to paying customers, uh, they're like, that's, that's unheard of. Like, how do you, how do you make these, like, how are you like... Like, what are you using to write your proposals do you use a third party it's like no I, I write the proposals with my team like we run the directives but it's really understanding how it's going to be implemented so you know 15 minutes ago we were talking about all these researchers that develop technology that's not properly commercialized were you know quasi researchers but we know we have an exact dotted line to that commercialization we we have the the end user in mind we're constantly surveying um, our customers understanding their pain points uh, and solving um, solving problems for them and so this is the you know overly used um, anecdote but are you building are you developing a a vitamin or a painkiller vitamin i can go three days without taking it i don't have to you know if it crosses my mind like i'll adopt it But or a painkiller, if I go six hours, I'm like, all right, I I messed up. And so we're really, really trying to anything that we do is define it as a painkiller. Like what problem do you have very, very specifically? And then how can we um, how can we solve it?
0: So I do want to touch because I I didn't include that you're also a sales guru and the importance of a painkiller versus a multivitamin and the importance of serving a need versus a nice to have. Um, And and you had mentioned the underserved market. Who was that market
1: that you went after? Uh, Pre-hospitalists and where this is so point of injury. Uh, this in the civilian sector, this could be from the EMT that's first to seen in a car accident, uh, the paramedic on a flight for life that's taking you to a level one trauma center. Um, so pretty much anything from point of injury to a higher echelon of care. Is uh, the niche that we are focused on? A lot of technology companies, you know, you look at the ED or the emergency department, or the ER, or the ICU. You know, uh, physicians, uh, senior clinicians, uh, big scale hospitals. Um, yeah, there's a ton of money there. Uh, there's a there's a there's a lot to be to be said about operating in that space. Um, however, that's a lot more crowded space. Um, there is um, a lot of different. Uh, Funded, well-funded companies that that that's where they target. Um, our uh, well-defined market segment is something that I'm trying to be hyper hyper focused on. Um, you know, do do this right, um, service this particular niche or this particular customer base, and then expand from there. So you have the civilian sector, EMTs, uh, paramedics, and then you know, on the Department of Defense side, uh, this is combat medics, um, any type of austere, uh, medicine, uh, that you do not have access to a physician. Uh, you might not be able to get a, a patient, a casualty to a field hospital in, uh, in a certain amount of time. And then we start kind of expanding, um, out from that. you look at doctors without borders, USA, rural medicine, um, all these different, um, uh, communities that have moderately skilled, um, medical personnel, uh, but not with a full suite of technologies or uh, a a specialist that um, can come in and and save the day. So making making sure that those um, communities are uh, properly trained. And then uh, this next big push is... um, are what we're we're currently um, really, really pushing forward on is pulling in machine learning, um, artificial intelligence to augment those individuals, um, offload some of their cognitive burden and provide the right information at the right time for the highest level of patient survivability. And uh, and, and we have been working on this uh, for about a year and the the latest hype cycle of artificial intelligence and it's been really really advantageous for us because before people were just like oh what is this ai thing or what does this mean and now you know being able to talk with you know whether it's a senior physician or senior military personnel like they now have a general sense of what AI augmentation can bring to the table, whether you're playing with ChatGPT or Midjourney or Dolly, you know, all these different things. There's like so many people now have a much better understanding. It's been a, a, a very lucrative environment for us to uh, pour just massive gasoline um, on this research initiative. Um, but again, constrained to the, um, that niche market.
0: And what is, so can you give me an, an example of AI augmentation? or What would be, what's the user experience that you're serving?
1: Uh, absolutely. So our first wave is not even necessarily um, AI and the, People are not everything needs to be solved with AI, but what we're building is called Medic Copilot. So when you look at um, how Microsoft is uh, dubbed their copilot or GitHub or these different copilots, it is taking a variety of applications and giving you access to the information you need as, as rapidly as possible. So there's, I mean, decision trees, there's different ways that it's not necessarily just straight artificial intelligence. So our first wave of what we're doing, um, I, I would assume that you've played around with Chat GPT, everybody at this point, you know, fastest growing, you know, um, application, you know, in human history. It yes, was trained. I yes, I it, have. It was trained on the open crawl. So we don't know how it was properly or how it was trained and specific to medical. And what's so dangerous about it right now is on the open crawl and the hallucinations that everybody's talking about. If you ask chat a question, uh, particularly about, um, medical, you might get a great answer. Uh, you might get a hallucination that sounds so good, but it's completely false because it was, you know, trained on an episode, of house or Grey's anatomy, and it's pulling, like some bullshit that it learned against, you know, some medically uh, peer-reviewed and mushing it together in this like this hyper-intelligent way, and people believe it. It's hard not to believe. You're like this. This thing is speaking gospel. So we're taking a step back from that, and there's a lot of um, people that are, are fine-tuning foundational models or large language models, and so we are containerizing um, the basically the large language model within. Approved medical guidelines specific to our end user. So, this first phase, uh, there's flavors of AI in it, but we are basically going to um, allow medics to have a conversation with their protocols or guidelines that are specific to them. And, and a lot of people that aren't in the medical space and we will glaze over this, but you have, you have guidelines, which are like kind of the rough, um, left and rights of where you should operate in. Um, and then you have your protocols and at a lower clinician level, your medical director tells you these are your protocols, you, that you shall not go outside of your protocols because I'm responsible as a medical director. This is what I need you to do. And those are different, um, all over the, all over the world, all over the country. Um, Um, County to county, everybody has different protocols. And so we are allowing that end user medic to, um, through a conversational tone, have a have a conversation with their protocols that are assigned to them. So in a given circumstance with I have this type of injury or these multiple injuries or, um, you know, these unknowns that I have being able to rapidly um, query the information that's specific to you. So augmenting you with the information that's relevant to you that you can trust. Um, that is, um, that's our, our first, uh, step in, where a lot of people are are talking about this is explainable AI. So you have chat GPT, that's a black box. I don't know the information of how it got presented to me. Explainable or auditable AI is providing references or documentation for how it got to what information is being provided to you. And, uh, And that's where, I mean, medical arena needs to be in that space. You have to, if I'm a medic and I'm asking a question, uh, to having a conversation with my protocols, um, I need to know that it's just not uh, hallucinating and, and providing me uh, Gray's Anatomy uh, medical advice. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, so thank you for the download on that. This serves a ton of information for me to better understand exactly uh, what it is you're developing. Because we talk about it in light, but I now I have a better grasp on the market you were serving in um, and if I can ask, so with this technology, I understand there was the underserved market as far as medics, EMTs, people that don't have PhDs that might need to be in a situation where they are saving someone's life. What was the original end user, or, or where did you go where they initially said we need this here? My, my assumption is it was military, but I'll,
1: I'll let you let you tell me how that started. It 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 is. Um, we. We're running at a, at a very quick clip in, in a very bad way to the um, next war. And this isn't just because I have a military background or I'm left or right. Um, the, the, there's a lot of indications that we're, we're, we're in a, a head-on sprint to uh, what the military is calling uh, LISCO or large-scale combat operations. Um, and this is with a peer or near-peer competitor. Um, you know, for the last twenty years, um, when I was in where I did all my defense contracting, um, it was not a peer or not a near peer. Uh, we owned the skies, we owned the roads, kind of. Um, but why that's applicable to medicine? So if I, if my team had a casualty or an injury, um, the prior medical protocols uh, were taught to keep somebody alive for sixty minutes. So my depth of knowledge. Only had to satisfy 60 minutes of keeping somebody alive. That stop a bleed, establish an airway, package up because I'm calling to my higher command and they're sending a helicopter or we have uh MRAP or a, you know um, some sort of vehicle to get that person back to a higher shot uh, of the care. You know, 60 minutes. You know, dust off my hands. You know, that casualty is in someone else's problem. In a LISCO or a large scale combat operation, uh, we, I say we very loosely, the DOD is pontificating that we will no longer have air superiority. Um, air superiority is very advantageous to getting uh, casualties off the X and to a higher echelon of care. Um, you know, and the same can be said about routes and on the ground. So now that 60 minutes, that for the last 20 years, that is what we have taught has now been extended to 72 hours. So one hour, 72 hours, 60 minutes, three days. So the the depth of knowledge that that same 18 year old kid or 26 year old senior leader uh, medic has to know has been amplified tremendously. So if you think from a civilian setting, like how many people you see And if you're severely injured in 72 hours from the EMT, through the trauma physician, through an ICU nurse, you know, yada, yada, like you're, you're going through the gamut of 72 hours. How do you do that in a pre-hospital setting with the same people with limited resources in a combat environment? it's very very difficult and so the this new 72 hour window is is what we're actively trying to solve so during that lisco uh, environment where you know it is um, you know if we have multiple casualties multiple injuries limited resources how do you offload the cognitive burden to a medic that has been up for 3 days um, that they're not making mistakes that having a proverbial angel on your shoulder that is able to fact check you hip check you um be able to provide some support in those environments to make those make those tough decisions um telemedicine has come a long way so basically phone a friend like hey doc i'm in a shit sandwich like what do i do um again a peer a near peer threat uh, we are Suggesting that we're going to be in a cyber degraded environment, meaning you, you don't have that phone a friend. Um, and then for us, the applicability to Doctors Without Borders or USAID, you know, if you're in the heart of the Sierra, or you're in Djibouti or you're in different locations where you might ha- not have the ability to reach back out and ask for telemedicine support. Uh, whatever you have with you is is the the resources that you have, and then if you there's a recent uh, um, release from the WHO, by 2030 uh, they are this is worldwide um, they are um, hypothesizing or you know predicting that we're going to be in a personnel shortage for healthcare um, at a 10 million deficit. That's a lot of people. That we're not going to have access to in a healthcare setting, and this is from the retention rate, new people going into healthcare, um, different populations uh, rising and gaining, uh, baby boomers like like this. The need for this many more healthcare professionals is a massive deficit. Um, So augmenting the people um, that we have now, and if you if you kind of zoom out, um, you know if you. When it starts going into more clinical settings, you have a specialist for every single different thing. You know, my uh, um, stepfather, uh, lung cancer, and, you know, just for him to go through from initial diagnosis to second opinion, through the whole gamut of, like, to treatment, I mean, I don't don't even know how many people that that he saw, 15, 16, like all these different specialists, all these different opinions, um, that, you know, there's going to be a movement for, a more generalized approach to medicine uh, and then augmented with the, an AI specialist to help you um, um, help you as a physician without the need to have um, specialist in every single discipline. Cause it's not realistic to have a single physician expected to know, to, to know all this. I mean, your, your brain, your brain can't, can't take that in.
0: Of course, and and so I I promise I didn't set this up this way. I didn't set you up for a trap. Um, I I need to, I need to walk through some steps here, and this is where this will fall into the sales side of things because what you did in this situation, what you were able to uncover, was you found the pain, you found a compelling reason to come up with a solution, and that compelling reason is, a, we need to save lives, and the quantification, if you will, or the scale that needed to happen was they needed to be able to keep someone that has been seriously injured alive for 72 hours, which is a 72 X. So we've got the gap and we've got the compelling reason. The urgency is as soon as possible. And this is government funding. Should you have the correct solution? What was the solution? So I hear um, augmented AI and I hear cadavers. What is the solution that has been put in place to help uh, these first responders, these EMTs, these uh, people out in the field in the military? What has been put in place for them to be able to 72x their knowledge or their capabilities of uh, keeping someone
1: alive? So right now it is just training. Okay. We are either supporting um, tier one training elements or conducting the training ourselves. That's Insight is what is allowing us to uh, rapidly iterate and develop it, develop our technology solution. So the technology is still in R&D, um, getting closer and closer to beta. Um, the training aspect for us as an organization is very, very unique. There's a lot of technology companies that operate in a silo they're in their cubicles, um, they're working from home, you know, whatever it is that they're not interfacing with the customer. They're not out there grinding. They're not out there talking. Uh, the fact that we have longstanding relationships with all the communities that, that we've been talking about in a training capacity allows us to really, really unpack what we need to, to build. What's also unique about us is since we've developed, um, this this community of giving and training. Uh, when we go to commercialize our product, we go back to the same people that gave me the inspiration, the same people that have the technology uh, barrier or they need they needed this solution. And I turned right back around. And be like, hey, you know, beta customers, lighthouse customers, early evangelists, early adopters. Uh, remember that problem that you said? Here's a solution for it. Um, and that you know can be extrapolated to to a lot of different um, uh, business principles where we are developing relationships, we're providing value, we're giving, uh, we're making an impact immediately on what they need now. And then when we go to monetize and sell. Uh, our services or sell our technology um those relationships are already there we already have a founded level of trust um just from already working with them but then also you you know you're not a, a snake uh, oil salesman like you're coming in with um I- exactly what what they need mhm you are coming in with the correct solution based off
0: what they've expressed the needs for exactly. Uh, and this so this is the last piece, or at least for this portion that I'm going to touch on SimWorks. So you've got the solution and you get it out to the military first, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So well, when you, so I take so I
1: take that back. So mm-hmm. we could do both, and we are trying to. I'm already very, very stretched then with two different companies. And then when you start looking at different customer personas and figuring out where you want to launch your product first in a picture perfect world, we are authorized and encouraged to commercialize in the civilian sector and the DOD at the same exact time. So one of the things, and and I'm not just like chest thumping DOD funding opportunities, but it's just been, it's been great for us and, and highly recommend people to look into it. Is they, this all started, you know, 2015, there's a big movement, Um, former Secretary of Defense kind of pushed this out, great keynote speech at Stanford, Uh, but he uh, basically was saying that we as a government are no longer inventing gps we're no longer inventing internet we have so much bureaucracy um, that in the the cost of things is so astronomical like we have to change and put that, put a lot of these things into motion of bringing private industry and our ability as industry to innovate and run at a much faster clip at a much lower uh, at a much lower rate and one of those pieces was all right, Lockheed, Boeing, Raytheon, n- name one of the juggernaut uh, companies. Like, we're not going to give you a billion dollars for this specific thing. We're going to take that billion dollars and chop it up to a thousand uh, startups or a thousand um, industry partners and make all these little micro investments. Um, some of them are going to flop. Some of them are going to be great. Um, but that billion dollars can go a much longer direction than just keep on dumping into the easy button with with Lockheed. With that, the government is also saying we don't want to create the next Lockheed or Raytheon that is completely reliant upon the tit of the DoD. We want you to commercialize this technology that we help you develop. Make money to substantiate and sustain yourself because we don't want you, industry, to be completely reliant on us because we might not need your solution for a year or we don't want you to charge us 10x what it should be because you need to pay for all your expenses just off of DoD money. Uh, So to answer your question, we have full rights. It's encouraged... For us to commercialize in the civilian sector at DoD at the same time, it is it is just now like you know when this comes to all the different types of principles of how you roll out um, and how you launch a, a software company and um, you know keeping keeping the the constraints on it uh, initially you know as as you get prepared to to fully scale and, and making sure that you solve one customer's need um, before before really pushing it far out. Sorry, it, uh, it cut out there. What was the last thing you said? It, there was a lapse in the internet. Um, yeah, so basically, just uh, making sure that we, you know, satisfy, you know, our first, our first launch um, with with our specific DoD customer before we um, start going to civilian medicine. Okay.
0: Okay. So, so I'm going to take. I'm going to do a rewind, and we're going to go back in time. So, I I wanted to, I wanted the listeners to hear you speak. And I wanted them to hear how eloquently you speak about the technology. You've got acronyms. You don't use any ums. There's no ends. There's no buts. You're so confident in what you're carrying. Um, And and I'm going to pull this story out of you. I know the story and we're going to play around with this a little bit. Uh, But for a listener that that can't see you and is just hearing this go-getter, Smart dude, I wish they could see you. So John is this tall, good-looking, charismatic, amazing dude. And if you were to rewind, can can you remind me? Were you the valid Victorian in high school? What was
1: no, number no. one
0: or number two in your class? no no, didn't didn't carry, didn't carry that title. And did you uh, after high school? Did you have any honors awards, anything like that? Uh, not to speak of. No. Okay. Did you? past high school with flying colors or was it more like you made it by, by the skin on your teeth?
1: Uh, some, somewhere in
0: between. Okay. And so you fast forward, you jump from high school and you go to, we don't need to use any university names unless you feel like talking about it, but you find yourself at your first college. And uh, can, you, can you give me a little bit of background of how that goes for you?
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So there was, there's people that want to go to college. They want to perpetuate their, um, their growth mindset or acquisition of knowledge um, was not, um, was not on my agenda at that point in time. Uh, I chose a school um, for the social activities and my friends that went there. And that was pretty much my North guiding star for college at that point in time did I have an appetite for um, going to class absolutely not Um, did I excel 100% not it was it was not the right choice for me at that point in time it was uh, the community I feel like we grew up in that was just the expected next step Uh, military was never talked about as an option trade schools weren't talked about as an option it was collegiate athlete frowned upon
0: frowned Frowned upon. upon Now, with, with, yes.
1: without question. And we you know, yes. grew up in an environment where they take away home ec. They—I I can't even remember. I feel like they took away metal shop and wood shop and they like did. all these different hands-on trades. Like, they did. Like, it's terrible. Like, that's absolutely atrocious.
0: Yeah. So this came up recently. Someone asked me about home ec, and they said they used to cook in high school. I said, well, I didn't have that. I did have jewelry class. That was one of them. But and pottery. Yeah, but different schools and based on the the demographic of where we. Grew up, that was not a focus. That was poo pooed upon. Don't like. Why would you go that way when you have all of these opportunities to be elite in what we consider elite? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you're at you're at the university, and do you graduate in four years flat, or do you have to extend to five?
1: Um, neither. Yeah. So one uh, one university was uh, um, didn't uh, didn't satisfy it. So I'm, I'm very. I am good about trying to make change, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. There's something initially in me that identified a need for a change. I have now, as later in life, like acknowledge what that is or what that, that nagging, um, you know, uh, sleepless nights or, or the little bit of anxiety of, of like, okay, let's acknowledge it. What are you doing that now needs to pivot? I, I you know, at an earlier age was too immature to recognize what those were, hadn't been coached properly, but, uh, but yeah. So pivoted from the first university, um, to another university, uh, at, at
0: how long, how long did you take before you made the pivot and wife, year and a half, year year
1: and half. half. Okay. Uh, at that point in time, um hospitality was you know trying to find some sort of, of you know what what will be interesting to me okay I, hey i like restaurants i like going to clubs i like staying yeah. in hotels like hosp- <laughs> yeah. hospitality sounds great sounds fine yeah yeah now uh, what what better place for a 20 year old kid to go to uh, hospitality school than UNLV in Las Vegas and uh, and that was that was an experience that has defined uh, the rest of my life with, with, without question. I mean, it was defined in a sense that it put me on a trajectory that has shaped the rest of my life.
0: And, and if you're okay with it, um, and we can edit anything out, but, um, this is, I, I've been hearing this more so, uh, more so lately, but I've been hearing the statement or phrase, this is not happening to you when something is going wrong. This is happening for you and in this situation it absolutely changed the trajectory of your life in the most positive way um, but do you feel comfortable sharing about what made that jump and what made you leave you lv and led to the i would say hitting rock bottom and making the most radical change that you've made in your life yeah uh I,
1: I certain aspects of it I'm, I'm comfortable to share. Um, yeah. So getting, getting into UNLV, going to Vegas, um, rapidly understood, you know, whether it was working at a restaurant, um, did some things at a hotel uh, that that is not the arena that I wanted to be in being on the, the, the servant side versus the recipient side. Um, was like, all right, all right, that was, that was, that was a bad mistake, but Hey, I'm already in Vegas, um, living with friends, um, like, like you know, let's let's make the let's make the best of this experience as possible, and as a as a twenty year old kid and you're in the service industry, um, everything in Vegas becomes free. You know, you know VIP hosts and bartenders and bouncers, and so you all of a sudden, with very very limited resources, um, can. Uh, act like a king in Vegas. So brilliant, brilliant experience. Um, during that time, um, I am call it luck or, you know, decent with numbers, um, really started, um, getting heavy into gambling and the, the, the notion of money at that point became, uh, comical in the sense that I had no, uh, appreciation for it. I mean, we we're having—I was having—you know—ten thousand, twenty thousand, seventy thousand-dollar swings in a single night as a as a twenty-one-year-old kid. You know, my player's card—I'm sure it's expired—obviously is is still under my <laughs> fake, it's still under my fake ID's name. Like, we we were pushing at such a radical um, op tempo, and then when you are 20 years old, Vegas is basically free at that point. And now you have just a massive amount of disposable income. You start flexing that and making different decisions that get you into different circles, uh, that, that ultimately, um, led to me being in a very uncomfortable situation that I didn't know how to, uh, handle myself. And that was a feeling that I never wanted to experience again. Um, Long, winded um, was held against my will in, in an environment that I could not uh, escape from uh, at that point. <laughs> and, um, you know, different sequences of events happened that that was ultimately, uh, ultimately let go. And, um, but that resonated, uh, that resonated with me. That was a incredibly, incredibly, um, low point in, um, you know, what I was doing, um, how I felt, um, completely the de- demasculated, um, in this type of situation, um, that, uh, um, something needed to, something needed to change. That was, that was not it for that story. Um, so I ended up going um, out to a, a family's friend uh, cottage to um, just kind of uh, escape from that feeling. And I was still on a destructive path. Um, you know, At this point, I'm still young. I still should be respecting the, the rules that were set forth to me um, by the, the family friends uh, whose, whose house I was staying at. Um, and it was just a, it was just a complete disregard or, or lack of, of care of, of people telling me what to do and, um, and, and let them down very, very hard. Um, and that combination of about a a three and a half month stint, uh, is what, um, made me acknowledge that I, that I needed to pivot and without, um, telling friends um, without telling family um, enlisted uh, into the infantry of the Marines. And that was probably an answer to still being in a destructive path um, because at this this is 2008, 2009, you know, the um, Afghan war or Afghanistan war is, is still in full uptick. Um, and, you know, joining the infantry in America's fighting force, like I was, I was ready to, um, you know, I was ready to go, you know, die or otherwise, like I was, I was just, I was at a full, full sprint. So even, even my decision to join the military was, slightly selfish, not altruistic that I'm going to go and and support, um, support my country. Um, everybody joins the military for, for different reasons. And you've got the red, white, and blue that they grow up and, you know, they're going to be patriots. Um, that's amazing. Um, a lot of the people, not a lot. I mean, there's a majority of people in the military. They, they join for, for different reasons. Um, and then once, uh, once I got into the military is, is really what, shape shifted my life. Um, and, you know, uh, not even respect for authority. Cause I you know, I still, I still run from that, but, um, you know, having, having a cause having discipline, um, it was the, the Marines specifically have an amazing indoctrination, uh, program to strip your identity and then rebuilds you up. It, I mean, it is it like as much as all the the inner uh, competition between the forces. You, I mean, you ask any army, navy, air force, uh, marine corps boot camp is the uh, is the gold standard. I mean, it, it level it level sets and turns um, it turns people around into uh, a, a new person. And there's obviously shitheads that that come out of the the military and the marines and, and whatnot. But um, for the most part, the um, that rebuilding of routine and discipline and physical fitness, all those type of things are, are what truly has, has made a, a foundational pivot, um, for me and, and has gotten me to where I am now.
0: So thank you for sharing that. And <clears throat> I want, I want to go back just a little bit. I, I, you said something I don't want to skim over. So you said very uncomfortable and something along the lines of held against your will, um. In other words, were you kidnapped? Correct. Yes. Okay. So you were kidnapped, and you were able to get out of it.
1: It was. Uh, yeah, I was. I was able. I was able to get out. the <laughs> the, the heightened uh, the heightened state of arousal of the entire situation um, ended up uh, ended up dissipating um, after about a after about a day and a half, um, which ultimately um, led to um, led to uh, my release or, or, or me feeling. Um, in a position that, that that i could leave without um, without massive repercussions um,
0: at that mm-hmm. point so you so you jump from there you have another not great experience and now you're in the marine infantry what makes you what was the tipping point what made you pursue special forces because um, thinking back with you know going to college that wasn't a major focus you weren't focused on learning at that time or you weren't mature enough to to embrace the education that was around you, but you could have, I don't wanna say, I wanna be clear on this, there's not gonna be any easy road in the Marine Corps. Let's establish that. But you chose to go down a different path. What was the catalyst at that point? Because as the story progresses, you getting into the military and going to special forces changed everything from your drive, your outlook, the way you approach things. Um, I'm gonna let you tell this more than me, but your self image, your confidence, everything changed at that point. So what, what made you jump into Special Forces?
1: So, uh, so a quick level set, um, just for factual relevancy, uh, special operations, special forces is, is thrown around in, in kind of a, a loose term. Um, in the Marine Corps, uh, it was one of the only fighting forces that did not have a special operations uh, for a very long time. It's a, it's a U.S. SOCOM um, was um, had an um, element within the Army. Within the Air Force and within within the Navy, uh, for a very long time, the Command of the Marine Corps did not want a Special Operations Forces within the Marines. Uh, they had something that was called a, a reconnaissance or force reconnaissance um, during. Uh, When I was getting in, uh, that reconnaissance and forced reconnaissance route is the trajectory uh, that I went since. Uh, MARSOC, Marine Corps Special Operations Command, um, has been formed. It's a very, very young organization that now falls under U.S. SOCOM. Um, But... just for for military buffs yeah the 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 forced reconnaissance route is is the direction that i went but it is it is the same pipeline um it is the it's the silent professionals like we you know went to like all of our indoctrination um training is is on coronado it's the it's the same military base that buds and the the seals go through you know jump school dive school sniper school seer school um, mountain rescue school, like, you know, it, it is the, it's, it, it's the entire breadth of the, um, special operations, um, uh, pipeline just held by at the time Marine Corps, uh, special operation group. Um, but, uh, force, force, reconnaissance, uh, reconnaissance is, is, uh, is a more accurate vernacular for, uh, the tra- trajectory that happened. that, um, in the military, is you don't control your own destiny. Um, it is, it's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting feeling everything is, um, timing, um, and the needs of a higher authority of where they need you to be. So the, the active decision for me had not been made at that point in time yet. Um, there's, you know, I've, I've, you know, not not super religious but there there's been there's been things there's been so many circumstances in my life from from a whole multitude of things that have kept me alive for for whatever reason um within the Marine Corps, the initial early on, I, I don't, um, I don't look past the sequence of events that ultimately led me down the path. Um, I was uh, hurt in boot camp, um, um, just shy of tearing my knee. You know, running at night, hit a hole. You know, whatnot. Uh, ended up going into a three month rehabilitation uh, in um, in boot camp, which is a miserable existence because um, a lot of the people that are in it, um, they made the bad decision of uh, or they felt they made the bad decision. So they're like people are on suicide watch and it's all these like Marine Corps dropouts. There's like there's like 10% of us that were actually hurt. The rest of these guys were just like faking things. So this is like the bottom of the barrel, just like miserable people to be around. And I was there for three months going through rehabilitation. But that three month hiatus from graduation um so ended up graduating uh boot camp as the um, um at the at the top of my class in, in boot camp um, was the honor grad you know these these different things of just that three month of just like truly stripping me down to absolutely nothing because you're not you're not going through training you're not doing anything like you you uh you wake up there's nothing for you to do. you're hurt you're at this like indoctrination camp like you wake up and you there's a brass pole on the wall. Like, you know what you're going to do for the tw- next 12 hours is you're going to shine this brass pole wall. Okay. Like, they're like, just trying to figure out things just to keep you, like, just busy. And you can see they're not going to let you just, you know, lay in bed hurt. But, like, something to your ailment. Like, that that's what you can do. So can you sit? Cool. You're going to sit here and scrub yeah, this Whatever you can
0: pole. do, we're going to yeah. make
1: you do. And yeah. so it was just, like, that three months was... That was like like the most mentally challenging thing. Because like in, in regular boot camp, you're up at five, you're dog shit tired at nine, you're going to bed and you're just doing, doing, doing. You're training, training, training. Now take all that away. And you're just like, you're, you're just in this existence and staying up at night because you, you get assigned a buddy that is trying to commit suicide. Just a very odd, odd experience. But that that three-month hiatus... If I would have graduated on time, like who who knows what deployment I would have caught, what opportunities, what schools, Um, there's just, you know, to replicate a military trajectory, especially early on, it's just very, very hard. Um, So I say that where when I got out of medical rehabilitation, uh, got to a new platoon, you know, graduated as uh, as a class leader at that time, uh, the reconnaissance community uh, was taking people um, basically, directly out of uh, boot camp, making sure they went to the School of Infantry, and then after the School of Infantry, taking them and starting a pipeline into the reconnaissance community. Three months prior, like that, that wasn't even that wasn't even an option. Which uh, on
0: your, oh, well, it wasn't a, it wasn't well, an option at it all. Wasn't even,
1: it wasn't even a thing. And wow. so now we're, oh, we're we're the first group of students that can go from boot camp can go to the school of infantry and then can go straight to uh, training for reconnaissance. Um, and so now you have all these old hats, these guys that had to spend four years in the infantry battalion or cut their teeth elsewhere and um, looking down on us because they're like, all right, you, you guys haven't, you guys haven't earned to be here. Like, what the fuck have you done? You haven't caught in deployment. And now you're just like, your, your hands are being held and walking you to, um, you know, walking you to our community that, that, that we hold very, very closely. So we came into, uh, came into a community um, as, as like already a low man on the, um, on the spectrum, but then even more resentment because uh, they felt like we didn't uh, um, deserve to be there. So now you're in this perpetual state of of um, fighting for your right to be there to earn the respect of of these dudes that have had multiple pumps to Iraq, you know, in an infantry battalion before they had the uh, privilege of, of getting to go to a higher echelon of care. Uh, but so that standard of what these dudes held us to was elite athlete, like they, like their expectation, because we broke into their community, like at that point, undeservedly, um, was, that was the, that was the reckoning. That was the, um, okay. Like, this is how, if these guys are going to respect us, if these guys are going to, you know, take us into their fold, um, like we, like, you know, I've got to, I've got to get, um, like next, next level when it comes to anything and everything that, that I do from physical fitness to shooting, to how I pack my rucksack to, I mean, like, I mean, everything was, um, uh, meticulous because those, um, that, that bar had been set so high. So
0: you were forced into elite level performance just to make it because of this uh, three month delay, you're up against or at least the bar was set to game ready experienced athletes, and you 're coming in just entering as a newbie trying to figure things out correct yeah so so there's there 's two things that you said, and it, uh, I just want to make sure that i 'm understanding this correctly so had you not gotten hurt, this opportunity for force ofescence would not have been there for you
1: it would it would not have I would have went with the traditional School of Infantry, and then most likely caught a immediate deployment um, as a low level um, infantryman uh, in the Marines. So, blessing
0: in disguise, and coming right after what I would um, what I would assume is a torturous experience. And that torturous experience is when you went into the um, what did you call it the the medic camp when you were injured. Where did they have you?
1: Uh, there's yeah medical rehabil- rehabilitation platoon.
0: So you're forced into being with... How many guys would be in a situation like that?
1: Um, in our particular platoon, I think there was 20 of us um, with a fraction being actually hurt and then the rest right. faking the funk to try to get out of boot camp because it was a bad decision. Okay, So you're isolated
0: and, and this goes into you know, we are the five people we surround ourselves with. So you're mm-hmm. locked down for three months and your daily task, you've just made this decision to go to the military, you get hurt, your inputs around you, or the overall energy, if you will, is suicidal, depression, fuck this, I don't wanna be here, and what you get to look forward to as as someone that's new in the military is shine this pole for 12 hours, and that's what it was like for the first 90 days, correct? Yeah. Yeah. How did you keep your shit together? This has been. I, I a... would have been. I would have been out of my fucking mind had I made that decision and been trapped there. That would have been like going to prison.
1: It. This is. This has been a something that is just you know held true. And there's things that I'm looking at like later in life on on if I need to change this. Um, you know, we joke around. Dumb enough not to quit. It. It is this. It is a, a stubbornness to persevere that has allowed me to get through so many different phases and chapters seasons of my life. And it is, it is that, I mean, it's, it, it is purely just grit. Um, I, you know, I've, I've, felt like I've been, I've been kicked in the teeth and been able to keep on going. And this is just that one more season of that. And, uh, the ability to, to not quit or not accept quitting, um, is, is something that just, it, it needed, I needed to, I needed to fully, um, fully embrace that. And I think, you know, Hey, it just wasn't, it wasn't an option. You know, there's also the, the, like I had, I had such a destructive path leading up to it. You know, if I would have jumped on the same bandwagon as, you know, the depressed dudes or, um, suicidal dudes, like, you know, also what am I, what am I going back to? Like, I, I need, I, you know, I need to suck this up. I need to get, um, onto the next, uh, to the next evolution. Um, but now, you know, after that, I mean, fuck you can do, you can do anything.
0: Yeah, for, for sure. And if you were, what we always hear, whether it's reading about it, watching a Ted talk, um, uh, talking to a high performer like you, the common theme, and it's not a secret at all. It's just, like you said, grit, is the difference between people that make it and don't is you just were potentially dumb enough to quit or refuse to accept failure. And (laughs) if you keep showing up, it doesn't matter how high performer that person was. You look at Michael Jordan, he was cut from his high school basketball team. No one came out. If we rewinded back to you at 20, that version of yourself compared to this version of yourself in two screens, wouldn't even recognize them wouldn't even no. be able to have the same conversation and it's you showing up day in day out with an open mind ready to learn ready to take failure or not failure ready to learn should you make a misstep and always looking to pivot with at least at the very least a positive outlook that if I keep showing up they can't crush me and I would I would very much attribute it that attribute that for you and you can tell me if I'm wrong but to them to them being the marines stripping you down And then rebuilding you back up, but into something that is now unbreakable, no matter what, like, unless you are
1: dead, you will keep going. No, a hundred percent. I mean, what very, very well said. And, And the other, the other thing with, with that is, you know, with, with school and with the, the military, at least for me, people, you know, especially with higher level education, like you need to. You need to know how to learn you need to know how to uh, accumulate knowledge and utilize that knowledge in a certain capacity and and i found that in the the military i'm sure people find that at, at university or they find that through podcasts they find that through you know self-education on youtube it's like there's different ways but if you have an innate interest or aptitude or capability to learn, I mean that—that's—that's that's when you really become like unstoppable, and that's where with me in the in the military again going back to this this unchosen path is my ability to and desire for learning and the ability to excel once I found something I was super interested in or was good at. Uh, that's that's that took off, and good, bad, or indifferent for me. I would go to a school, uh, one of the special operation group school, whether it was dive school or jump school or sniper school, like what I mentioned before, uh, come out of the top of a class and leadership were like, like, okay, like you're physically capable, you're mentally capable. Here's the next school and here's the next school and here's the next school. And so for, um, you know, the next several years, all I did was, was go to school, um, to uh, obtain this knowledge and this became this like just amazing thing of what of what you can obtain and learn uh, in a hyper condensed amount of time. And the military does a great uh, did a great job of that. And now I've taken that further on. So if you look at um, EMT basic, it is in the civilian sector um, I think it's six months, maybe eight months. I did it 19 days in the military. Like with with the, you know, like 13 14 hour days, like you're just going absolutely balls to the wall uh, and you know, I tested out with the the same national registry. I did my rotations, I did the ex- every single thing that a EMT basic needed to do that would have taken 6 to 8 months because Like you are hyper-focused. You are, that's all you're doing. You're living, breathing, obtaining this knowledge as fast as possible, testing out, and then, then to the next thing. And like that, that type of accumulation of knowledge and skills is something that I've just been, you know, striving for um, ever since. Like, okay, cool. Like it's going to take you a, take you four years to get a degree. Like, fuck that. Like peel off all the superfluous stuff. And like, let's focus in on exactly what is going to, you know, uh, make me better, um, emotionally better, physically better, um, business better. And I'm going to, I'm going to fully invest, uh, my time resources into that. Got it. All right. On to the next thing. Um, and that's where I've just been in this per persistent, uh, and perpetual pursuit of, um, uh, of a growth mindset in, in that capacity. Cause like what we have as individuals to, uh, a have access to now, uh, just like the, the, the amount of content and good content and learning from people that have been there and done that versus people that are just teaching what is supposed to be taught is like no other time in human history, obviously have, have, you know, we as business people, as entrepreneurs, um, had access to that. And like, if you're not taking advantage of it, like you're, you're in the wrong. Like, hundred mm-hmm. mm-hmm. percent.
0: And so you you said you used a term that I love, um, and we talk about this pretty frequently here. But, but the growth mindset. So, when you have a growth mindset, typically you will find that person hanging out in the growth zone. And the growth zone is past your comfort zone. It's not even on the edge of it. It's to where you realize I'm going to fail. I'm going to make a mistake, but I'm going to keep coming back. And I'm going to keep educating myself. Would you say, so based on your prior history to where you're at now or what clicked for you in the military, and this is is my little shit on at least the US education system, is you take an eight-year-old that doesn't want to sit through this class and doesn't want to do algebra or whatever it is and they keep staring out the window because it's a sunny day and you load them up with Ritalin and put them in special uh, needs classes or you say they're unfocused, they're a distraction. But if you were to take that kid outside, maybe they're the best fucking tree climber there ever is and they're passionate about plants or whatever, whatever it is that makes that little kid tick. Um, would you say that your hack or... For someone that's trying to get a growth mindset would you encourage them to pursue not necessarily a passion but just find something whether it's whether it is against what society would be telling you to do like get out of high school and go become a lawyer would you encourage them to just pursue whatever their interests are and push themselves in that interest and become a master of whether it's under underwater basket weaving would that be the direction you would encourage someone to do to hang out and learn and feel comfortable being uncomfortable in the growth zone?
1: Um, maybe. I, th- I think that you you hit on a couple different points there. And like hard things suck. And passionate interests um sometimes or could lead you to softer, gentler things. And I, I don't have a, a super firm belief on this, but you know when you have you have some entrepreneurs or some business people that do your passion and money will follow. And if you have purpose and you have passion, like that's all you need. Um, I think there, I think there's there's something to that. Um, there's there's something to needing to have a, a higher purpose of what you're driving to. But you know I think there's a lot of people that you know, are you looking for work-life balance or are you looking for, uh, work-life integration? I'm on the work-life integration. I don't really give a fuck about work-life balance and, you know, hard things suck. And I am on a pursuit of helping a very niche community, whether it's in law enforcement, non-lethal or pre-hospital trauma, but I want to make fucking money. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, like, you know, I have, you know, altruistic intentions. And I have been fortunate enough to have the communities that I serve that, you know, outward perception is like, Oh, you're helping. I don't know. Some people don't like law enforcement, but you're helping out law enforcement. You're helping out pre-hospital traumas. Like that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. But I am also, you know, building a business to help those people, but to, to achieve a lifestyle that, that I want. And like, that is for me, a, a driving motivator. Like it's like, the passion, um, to wake up every morning and get kicked in the teeth and have a thousand different fires that come across. And it's, it's not, you know, right now, it's not that I'm making, it's, it's not that I'm making a difference in these lives. There's going to be other companies that are going to come along and, and help these communities out. Um, but for me, there's just something that I want to achieve as a, as an individual performer. That's, that's going to allow me to maybe find my passion or maybe find my, you know philanthropy. Uh, once I've uh, attained a, a, a certain level of of, of wealth that that uh, I'm setting and holding myself to, so with with that, you know, it, it's a tough one. Like I said, like if you find your passion, find your interest. I think there's merit there, but. People needed like people need to do shitty jobs. I'm I'm part of the CEO circle that um, J.P. Morgan Chase puts on with a. It, it's great, and they, they take uh, 90 uh, veteran uh, CEOs from all over the country and, and put them together. And I'm in a cohort with uh, uh, one particular dude, and he owns uh, janitor janitorial services. Started it when he got out. Uh, he's out of Atlanta. Uh, Filthy rich. Absolutely. Do you think he did you think he likes running a janitorial business? Like, no, but like, you know, like, is he is he is he satisfying a a need? Is he able to uh, provide for his family? Is he retiring, you know, at 50 with like an ungodly amount of money and and running, you know, but he didn't he didn't wake up or get out of the military and was just like, oh, what am I passionate about? Oh, that's what it is. Cleaning shitters. But like he like it like, you know, he's he's doing great and he's gonna be able to to run with it. Um so I don't know, man. It, it's it's a it's a it's a tough one.
0: No, so you uh, and I'm I'm really glad that you pushed back on that, because I'll clarify a bit as well. So I completely agree. Going out and finding a passion and just pursue that passion, that's not necessarily what I would encourage you to do. Uh, But giving the example where we're talking about hospitality in college and that not really doing it for you, maybe your grades weren't there, maybe the focus wasn't on school, and then we're talking about sniper school and going to get your scuba license and doing the SF things. Those interest you, and none of those were easy. So, I'm not saying skip past the difficult things, but if someone, if you just really have no interest, and this is where grit comes in, I'm not saying just quit, but if you're really uninterested in the topic, job, whatever that is, maybe find something that at least you have like a little bit of fun with. And mm. if that is, if that is, you want to open a bar, I'm gonna use this as an example, you want to be a bartender at the best bar in New York, Miami, or Vegas. Go figure that out and have the grit to be the barback, or work as the host or be the janitor there for as long as it takes until you get that opportunity, but at least follow something that you think you could be somewhat good at or that you think you could somewhat have fun at. And maybe for the janitor that you're speaking of, maybe there was a time, I would actually say not maybe, he was probably a damn good janitor and realized like, holy oh, shit, I've got a method here. Let me put together a process and I can replicate this. This is my thoughts, I have no idea. But there was something that he was somewhat Good at, at some point um, for him to be as successful as he is. That that's my thoughts.
1: So with with that, I think I think there's a differentiation between: Are you talking about how to sustain life and achieve wealth and provide for your family, or are you talking about trying to, you know, uh, achieve a, a, a lifestyle business or something that is just going to make you happy as a as an individual? And are you suggesting that if you become you know good or happy as an individual that that could you know onward and upward lead to um uh, you know sustaining wealth or growing uh, outside of that
0: no so not as much that more so if if i had the if i was faced with uh two opportunities and we'll use being um uh, going into management consulting and working with sales companies um, working with ceos and coming up with a strategy to help them increase revenue Or me being a CPA and there's nothing wrong with being a CPA I just don't really like numbers like that Mm -hmm. and I would feel as though it was dry if I was constantly working through spreadsheets and just uh, dealing with crunching numbers and presenting what you know I came up with as a final answer and there's some people that love that and that's fun for them I don't I can say that I'm a gritty individual I would fucking hate it and I, I, I don't know that I would continue on that path if that's where I went for school whereas i enjoy the process of selling i enjoy the methodology and the magic around question asking and i enjoy helping companies grow and and helping helping representatives that may be on the chopping block and turn them around to being a top salesperson and it's not that i love 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 working like in a perfect world i wouldn't be working i would have some sort of purpose but that's just the separation of at least at least go somewhere if you're a vegan, it's probably not going to be the best environment for you to work at a butcher shop and plan on opening a butcher shop. So I'm not saying find a
1: passion, no. but at least have something where it's not painful for you to show up to work every day. And I think there's there's a lot of reflection that can go into that and, and whether that comes with maturity or finding a mentor or finding somebody that can help you unpack that, but being cognitively aware enough to have those uh, tough decisions, like, you know zap back to, to high school and, you know, like I can't even remember like do, do we, like are there um, uh, high school counselors or college counselors that are like supposed to help you think through these different things and and whatnot but like, like personifying that I think there's something there but there's also you know, at different seasons of your life you're going to have different aspirations or different talents or you're going to accumulate different uh, different things along the way so even, even if to, you know, at 17, 19, 25 like those um, what you're good at, um, or what you're interested in. I think those can shape shift and, and change. So as long as you're, you know, in tune enough to, to acknowledge that, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with, I'm with you. I think that that is, that is sound advice.
0: And so I, I'm going to rush through, right, rush as quickly through these, uh, last questions as we wrap up. Cause I, like I said, this, this can flow and we can go to time pretty quickly. Um, but for our listeners, someone that is in a high performing role like you, someone that has overcome adversity, what does what your daily schedule look like? So you mentioned waking up, getting kicked in the teeth, dealing with a thousand fires. What do you do from the second that your eyes wake up until the second that
1: your eyes close on an average day? So I will I will start with, there are high performers that wake up early. There's high performers that stay up late there's you know routine like it could it could cover take 24 hours like that doesn't matter like it is doesn't matter you know i I hate the dudes that you know up at four fucking grinding like take a photo of their watch like i mean whatever like that that's dumb man like like, I don't know. What if you're a nighttime physician and you're working swing shift, like the 4am the thing, like that, that whole mentality, like that doesn't, that doesn't do it for me. Do I get up early? I try to, um, for the, the clientele and the people and the people on my team morning is my quiet time. That is where my phone's not ringing. I don't have text messages coming in. Um, we are not, um, uh, international yet. So I don't have, you know, uh, I don't have London pinging me. Um, mornings work for me uh, as far as uh, reflection um, and getting things done. So wake up, uh, and these are things that I'm again like I'm constantly putting in new things that I've learned and trying things. If it doesn't work, well, I can scrap it, but at least like now I have given it a uh, given it a try and, and see if it's going to work for me. Uh, like one of the the biggest ones for me is. I don't use the alarm on my cell phone. Um, I'm trying. I am trying to get to a point where I don't. Um, I don't set alarm. I'm not there yet, uh, but I don't use the alarm on my cell phone. Uh, my cell phone is charging uh, in my bathroom, uh, so it's away from me. So I have a, I have a different alarm because um, what I do or used to do is I will wake up and grab my phone, and the first thing I do. All right, what like what has happened or what has transpired or what emails have come in from the East coast. Look at my calendar, you know, and that's just, that's the tempo for the rest of my day. I'm in this reactionary state that I'm not, I'm not controlling my own destiny for that day. And, and that was something that just uh, I, I wanted to change. So now you could have discipline, set the alarm on your phone and just be like, all right, I'm not going to check my phone until, you know, an hour from, from when I wake up, I have just removed that temptation and it's just not there. So I have, have a second alarm clock. Um, that's next to my bed. Uh, that has re-given me, uh, at least 45 minutes, uh, in the morning to properly level set, um, where I want the day to actually go um after after waking up um honestly man i do uh, a tiny bit of stretching uh, just get blood flowing um slam a glass of water uh, you're in you know a dehydrated dehydrated state um i have been messing around with a couple different um um uh, water mixture uh, whatever you want to call it supplements but in a powder form um, on it alpha brain uh, that's like I've, I've bounced around it for a couple. Um, that particular one I just I, I like the company um I like the the ingredients and their control of ingredients um, but that just seems to be like a great little um you know clear the fog uh, jump start the brain um you're probably more is that,
0: uh, is that Aubrey Marcus?
1: It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, okay. so Aubrey started it, uh, Rogan invested in it and, uh, um, yeah, they, they put out some pretty, um, pretty good stuff and they have like a whole line on all their different, uh, um, fungi, um, supplements and they're constantly pushing out really, um, uh, really good stuff. So I, am I'm, I'm a fan of that brand, uh, but haven't been otherwise course corrected on, um, uh, if they, if they're up to no good, but, um, um, yeah. So get, um, get some sort of fluid, uh, fluid rolling. And, um, I've been trying to, uh, not uptake caffeine immediately. Um, there's been a lot of people that are, that are chattering on the negative effects of first thing of getting caffeine in your body. So try to delay that gratification. Um, and the, uh, the other thing I think I skipped past is, uh, um, the, the need for, for sunlight and, you know, trying to get, that um, um that cycle started of getting woken up. Um I'm fortunate, you know, uh, I have a dog so uh, the you know the the first uh, the first uh, sunlight that i'm getting is is mandatory cuz you know she needs to go out but getting um getting direct sunlight um to uh, to start that morning process is uh, has been great not you know living in colorado we have 330 days of I was sunshine gonna say, you're fortunate
0: for that so, as well
1: so that that <laughs> that is that is nice um as a, as a caveat to that, um, there is the the surroundings for me personally, and you know, listeners can you know judge me in whatever capacity on this. Uh, but I recently moved, and I moved for a specific reason to be more. Um, convenient for me. I'm traveling pretty much every week, uh, heading to the airport, Denver, Colorado, the, the airport's about 45 minutes away, an hour away with traffic. Uh, but there's a, uh, the light rail goes out there. And so I like, hop on the light rail and I can just work. I don't have to pay for an Uber. I don't have to pay for parking. And, you know, I get an extra hour work on the way to the airport. Uh, the intentions were super strong. Uh, didn't really, hadn't really spent a lot of time on the, the light rail. Um, but the particular station that I am near, is a, um, a lot of, um, a lot of dudes that are taking part in, you know, this, this current pan- epidemic of fentanyl and opioids and, and whatnot. And, um, um, yesterday morning, um, had a dude pressed up, I live on the ground floor for, for my dog, uh, a dude sleeping on my porch, pressed up against my door. And that, you know, the first thing in the morning that, that I, that I see, is you know trying to have empathy, trying to have sympathy, but this dude's on my fucking porch. Like you know, I like I like yeah, he's a, he's in a bad position. Is it by choice or is it you know what not? And um, you know, so this this was yesterday, but you know, now in the morning when I'm trying to get sun signed, when I'm trying to get my brain uh, right, there's just tweakers in, in you know on the street or there's fucking just like shoes like so the the environment i did it for convenience but the environment of which trying to get my day started right and this is selfish and you know it, it's it's impacting impacting me so i'm personally trying to figure out like is this impacting me in such a negative way that i need to break my lease and move and that's kind of where i'm at or can i figure out a way to i don't know like take this as a real like all right there's like look at it from a different perspective, like, you know, use this as motivation, not that I'm ever going to be on the street, fucking smoking rocks. I don't even know what these, what the drug, what these guys are doing, but like they use that use that as a motivator to, to set my day straight and not let it ruin me for being pissed off that I'm stepping over, a, you know, a human shit on the, on the sidewalk. Um, so I'm still, I'm struggling with that right now in my, in my morning routine. Um, yeah. How long have you been there? Uh, about a month and a half in.
0: Okay, so a month and a half in. Uh, can I make a suggestion? Yep. Okay, and then there's two schools of thought to this, and you could definitely have the suggestion <clears throat> or look at it from the or through the lens of, wow, I'm so fortunate. Look at these people. I, you know, can wake up and have gratitude that fortunately I have a place and that I'm not sleeping on someone's doorstep and I've got a family who loves me and yada yada yada. What I would suggest to someone who is in your role with the amount of responsibilities and the amount of bandwidth that you need functioning out of your brain at all times, I'd get the fuck out of there. Yeah. Whatever it costs to break the lease, the ROI will be, I'm gonna assume something around maybe 10,000 X when your performance <laughs> increases, maybe yeah. on the low end 10,000 X of the, you know the breaking the lease and getting a moving company. But other than that, you will be happy. And just the fact that you've been there 90 days and. You already noticed this issue is there, and now you're waking up and someone's actually against your fucking door. Yeah. Fuck that. And maybe it takes a compelling reason where something happens, like someone's trying to get in at night, and you say, "All right, I'm I'm done." But I would, I think you probably can you overcome this. Of course, we both know you can. Do you have the grit to do it? Of course. Should you do it? Yeah. <laughs> is it always worth? You know, the obstacle is the way, unless you can go
1: around it. And yeah. if you can go around
0: it, that that also works too.
1: Yeah. But in, in this particular circumstance, I could not, he was leaned up against an outward swinging door. So, you know, and, and you know, not knowing the rights as a, as a rentee on, you know, private property versus my property, like, right, know, I'm probably the right. one who'll get arrested for, you know, you
0: no. Know. In, in Seattle, you would have, yeah, yeah. for sure, without a <laughs> doubt. So, um, so you wake up, you've got your 90, or I, I'm gonna insert this, are you using 90 minutes before you take in caffeine?
1: Uh, hour, two hours. Yeah. Typically. Hours, two hours.
0: Yeah. So I, I'm doing it as well. Are you noticing a difference,
1: a profound difference? No, n- not, not like earth shattering. Um, but there's also, there's some, uh, things that I'm trying to shape shift right now. I haven't been, I haven't been sleeping, um, very well and looking at different things that are impacting the sleeping. This will get back to the caffeine, um, question. Um, I don't particularly care for weight training in the morning. I can do cardio. Uh, I just can't for whatever reason. I've never, I've never liked just lifting heavy weights first thing in the morning. Uh, it's just, I wish I did. It's just not for me. Um, and as a byproduct of that, I am working out later. And whether it's a um, wanting to take some sort of amino uptick pre-energy um, for a workout. I haven't noticed the the caffeine crash, good, bad, or indifferent in the afternoon. I think, and, and so I don't have like a, I don't have a baseline because I've, I'm typically in the afternoon, upregulating with another type of caffeine prior to a workout, and that is the the lack of sleep. That like I, my, my my sleep hygiene. Yeah, you know, we we can get into sleep hygiene, but um, I'm I'm trying to. Work out earlier to eliminate that afternoon caffeine kick, and then I'll then I'll see if the uh, that waiting the ninety minutes actually makes a difference. But right now I'm just doing it because it's recommended. But it, it hasn't it hasn't like slapped me in the face, me like ah, oh, it's fucking awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. So so my experience with this, and I know it's not placebo effect because the researchers or the studies that put this out there, I I firmly believe in. So maybe it's placebo on my end, but the 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 difference that I notice is that by waiting 90 days to introduce caffeine into my system or reintroduce, there are mornings where I've made coffee the night before, and I wake up and I'm five minutes out of bed, like my eyes are still half open, and I drink coffee. When I do that, I don't necessarily get the boost that I was expecting, <laughs> and then when I remake a cup of coffee or I have another whatever, a cold brew, throughout the day, I just feel like it's not hitting the same. So the the main difference I've noticed is at that 90-minute mark when I do hit it, whatever that first hit of caffeine is, it just feels stronger, and I notice that throughout the day, I'm drinking less cups. But I didn't do a proper control study before. There's some things that have changed in my life as well recently, so I can't say that it's just because of that one thing, but I do notice I was was probably up like six, eight cups of coffee, Day throughout the entire day, and now I'm probably at two, so that's, that might be. I mean, that that, 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 that that's
1: enough of a of a um, checkbox to keep on doing that. That's a lot of caffeine.
0: yeah, I, yeah it was a lot of caffeine, and it's it, well, and we're gonna transition to sleep. But I was wondering, like, what the fuck is going on? And the having that four thirty p.m. five p.m. Um, coffee or two just to finish out the day. That is like, that was setting me up for failure with sleep. Um, but in my pursuit, because I don't sleep that well either, I've been looking into some options to help me. Um, what are some of the products or hacks or or solutions that you're looking into to help with your sleep?
1: Um, I mean, the, the sleep hygiene that, you know, people reiterate this, you know, from Deregulating caffeine, you know, two p.m., four p.m. If you're trying to get to bed by by nine or ten, you know, that's just kind of Captain Obvious. Um, so I'm trying to trying to implement that. Um, the the notion of unwinding and making sure that you're starting to, if you're a workaholic, um, like you know, for me, you know, tapering to creative work, more fulfilling work, uh, planning for the next day as the end of day routine. Versus stressful work, like I'm not, I'm not responding to an angry email. I'm not, you know, talking with my lawyer about, you know, whatever, you know, uh, co-founder issue I have. Like, you know, purposefully doing tasks that are not going to spin me up um, as much as possible uh, on that evening of uh, that evening wind down. Um, blue blockers, uh, people, you know, we're. We're, you know, biology, you know, when the sun starts going down, your melatonin, you know, yada, yada, you're supposed to, um, you know, start getting ready for that sleep, you know, as we are constantly staring at screens, um, you know. Whether you're unwinding with you know some sort of TV or you're you know dicking around on your phone, um, I try to religiously throw on blue blockers, um, Warby Parker, like the ones I'm wearing now. And I was going to ask. Yeah, are those blue. Okay, so John's so the, wearing glasses right now. Yeah. Are, so the, they these, look are, these are these are blue tint. Yeah. So these are blue blockers, but they also have. Staring at a screen, uh, whether it's uh, your computer or phone, uh, is it throws on a pretty hard fatigue. And so I mean, we're in the middle of the day right now. So should, do I need to be wearing blue blockers? No, uh, but I had a slight prescription put in these uh, that help take the strain of, uh, staring at things at a, at a center focal point, um, uh, help relieve that strain of your eyes. And so this is for longer eye health, uh, longevity is, is the intent. Um, so they, they serve two purposes is, um, relieving a uh, computer strain from helping your eyes focus, uh, and then uh, blue blocker. So, uh, Werby Parker makes them, um, Smith sunglasses. You can do just blue blockers without uh, a slight prescription, um, but, uh, but the Ruby Parker, it's, you know, make an online appointment, go to your local strip mall uh, or wherever one might be, you know, and, and get them in the mail, you know, shortly after super, super, uh, simple run. And- I, I will ab- I will absolutely.
0: T- I stare at a computer screen all day. So this is going to be a, <clears throat> I'll let you know by before and after, but, um, I, I believe it'll be a, a game changer for me. Um, and, and when you mentioned eye strain and I just, if there's ever a time where maybe I can help you or a listener out there. Are you, uh, are you familiar with the 20 20 rule? Have you ever heard no. of that? No. So this is, um, I, I, I might be incorrect with the company, but I'm pretty sure it is Pixar. Mm-hmm. And Pixar has a rule uh, for their animators or whoever's doing the editing on their screen is every 20 minutes look 20 feet ahead at least for 20 seconds. And I don't know if you notice this, but I keep looking up and I'm just looking straight ahead because when I'm focused in on you and I'm looking at you on the camera, yeah. I'm very strained into this little box. And when I'm looking right here, this little dot, it's straining for me. So I relax my eyes by looking out and just kind of letting them refocus. But that that's something that helped me when I was just straight into a computer screen all day and having headaches afterwards. So,
1: But the uh, blue I, I, blockers,
0: I, that's a better option.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I had not heard of that if what was 20 20 minutes or 20 20
0: minutes about okay. like 20 feet ahead or it's something 20 feet away and for uh for 20 seconds stare so let your eyes re-relax out to a further distance hmm.
1: does that does that mess with your flow state or like being in the zone on
0: anything no but but that might be because I do it so much. Like I don't know if you've seen, but I I, I do. I pop my eyes up every once in a while, and I just look straight ahead because I can feel
1: I can feel this the uh, strain. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'll find what the prescription is on these. It's not it's not corrective prescription. It is it is literally to relieve your eye strain um, when you're staring at a at a screen.
0: Okay. Okay perfect. Um, and um,
1: with, with the, the
0: sleep hygiene as well, um, and I might butcher this also I recently learned about have you heard, heard the three two one rule? No okay, so three two one rule is no food three hours before bed, no liquids two hours before bed, and then no screen time one hour before bed. I, and and I, I would argue longer than that for the screen time, but um, Yeah. That's, that is, that's the latest as far as timing to help you fall into a deep sleep faster.
1: So I, I, there's things that I'm trying to implement. This is just for me personally, that are sustain achievable and sustainable. And the, like some of those, they're just, that's not sustainable for me. Like the, like I've heard people about the, uh, the water, you know, especially to get later in life, waking up and having to go pee and, you know, these types of things, but like, yeah. you know, and so like I, for me, I could, I could drink a gallon of water before bed and, and that doesn't wake me up like for whatever reason. So that, that hasn't nice. impacted me yet. Um, and I, I think with the, the food, you know, whether it is, you know, you're doing it because you want to achieve your fasting uh, time window longer. So if you stop eating at seven, you know, And go to bed at 10, that means you can, you know, whatever you're trying to do, whether it's 8, 12, 16, you can just eat that much sooner. So there's different things that I think are, are good, but you know, from being social or having business dinners and eating later, um, you know, there's, it's, there's things that are just difficult and you know, do you do it most of the time or all the time? And there's some guys that are, you know, that are just fucking religious about this and like, they will like, they like dinner, if the dinner reservation's not at five, like I'm not going and like, I don't want to be that. Like that's, that's not for me. Yeah, uh, right. And then same thing with my phone. Like my, like, you know, I have an open door policy, you know, as far as like people be able to get hold of me with employees and like. Yeah, I'm trying to get wound down at night, but I'm not going to like just religiously. I think that'd be more stressful for me if I haven't, you know, actioned, responded, or um, did something an hour before bed. I think I would just like be like, fuck, all right, (laughs) you know, is is there something? So I think there, three, two, one sounds great, but for the achievable and sustainable. So, so, and, and that's a personal thing.
0: For sure. You know, if it's an hour before bed and you're like, damn, I didn't check my email, that's a personal thing. So if it works for you, great. If it isn't working for you, maybe something to adjust. What I would say about the three, two, one thing um, is with the three hours, it's allowing you to rest better, being that your stomach isn't digesting food throughout the night. Um, my personal issue with it and, and something that I've been a little confused on is. If I have a big meal, I can pass out. Think about after Thanksgiving you eat all this food, everyone's sleeping watching TV. If I'm fasted, I don't require as much sleep and I will sit there my heart rate will be slightly elevated and my body's just like what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. Like what's next? <laughs> Seriously like what are we doing? Why are we why are we in bed? We have so much energy. We didn't break anything down recently. Let's yeah. go. So so this is just what I've heard. I'm not necessarily saying that it that it works for me, but uh, but I'm implementing it. And the water thing, you're fortunate. I drink a shitload of water. Like I I drink multiple of these throughout the day. When I drink too late, I piss all night. Yeah. So maybe sucks. I need to maybe I need to see a doctor. I don't know. Maybe there maybe there's something no, else going no on. Milk thistle there. for your liver, yeah. Yeah. So so I'll pick up milk thistle. Um. But on the sleep thing, so there's one product that that I'm excited to try out. I haven't ordered it yet. I am a hot sleeper, and it isn't hot here. I have my AC on at all times. I keep a fan on me. Whatever the reason is, I am constantly hot, and that's what wakes me up. There is a product out there that is a a mattress topper that you can control and set down to, I think it goes down to 60 degrees, but it keeps your bed cool. I'm not sure the name. I'm sure there's multiple brands out there now. Um, I am absolutely going to invest in it, and I'll let you know what my thoughts are. I, I don't know if you've seen anything
1: like that. So I bought the, the Tempur-Pedic, um, cooled topper. Um, I bought the Tempur-Pedic cooled pillows. Um, Mm -hmm. fucking hate them. Like they're like, you know, I don't know, 2,500 bucks worth of like cooling though. Right. Not, not a device to keep it cold. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted, I wanted to level set that is the topper. And it tepropeedic. I was like, "Hey, like I thought this would be great. It's a cooling gel yeah. or or whatnot. Like I'm like slept hotter. Like, it's add, like hot as it, fuck. Yeah, that's, it, To, You know, just a complete waste of money. Like you know, throw them away. Like I was like, all right, swing and a miss. But the the ones that actually have the circulated airflow yes. and whether it's a topper or a comforter, um, I'm I'm not entirely sure, but the, yeah, the, I, I'd be too. I'd be super super interested. Um, I know. Um, yeah. The, the getting your body into a cooled state. And that's one of the things that I've, I've stopped doing is like taking a shower at night, um, mm-hmm. or a hot shower at least, or trying yeah. to do it earlier. I mean, cause if you're, if you're taking a 80 degree water shower, I mean, you're just like warming up your core body temperature I and mean, then it's that much difficult, more difficult to get it to a, a cooler state right before you go to bed. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I, the, the sleeping cool is, is you know, mandatory.
0: Uh, on showers, do you, by chance, do you take cold
1: showers? I do at the end. Um, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I've uh, forcefully, I've taken a lot of cold showers, you know, whether it's on, <laughs> on ships or otherwise. Um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of great benefit, um, you know, that's coming out of, of what it is. But um, yeah, I'll just do I'll just do a normal shower for the first uh, the first run, and then um, just you know turn it as cold as it'll go for uh, the last you know thirty seconds or so, just to just to stretch it out, close the pores, and um, mm-hmm. wake up a little bit more and, and and
0: cruise. So I'll let you know how this plays out. And I'm always a little bit uh, leery of. A solution that does one thing but then can be highly recommended for the exact opposite but as you know a cold shower in the morning and you can wake up have a warm shower do what you need to do but to finish out as cold as you can tolerate Mm -hmm. that jolts you awake you're awake I've heard that a cold shower in the evening will also put you to sleep which is the opposite factor because you've got that but being that it cools your core temperature that that it actually helps as well so I have not put it into practice at night I'll let you know how that plays out Um, and what?
1: I'm so there's there's something I was I was listening to something this morning that was uh, haven't really fully unpacked yet, but it was it was interesting, specific to stressors, introducing stressors to your life. You know, whether it's cold showers, saunas, you know these these different things, and, and just like what they were what they were unpacking and what they were talking about is we as you know humans you know through evolution have um, gotten to a point where we have taken out so many stressors out of our life you know shelter food or otherwise and you know arguably people are not as healthy people are more agitated um, because they're they're allowing you know they have the the mental capacity to look for for other things that are that are you know pissing them off or where they can direct their energy and I, i just find it interesting now we're going out of our way to reintroduce <laughs> stressors that, yes. that that for the last hundred years, everybody has been trying to take out. So like, let me get this straight. You purposefully wake up and jump into a tub of freezing cold water. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, explain that to somebody <laughs> 150 years ago, they're like, right. Like the fuck is wrong with you? And I was right. like, I, lo- I love it. I think it just, but like looking at, we have, you know, uncomfortableness, um, and, and reintroducing stressors and whether it's fasting, um, you know, whether it's saunas or cold showers or cold plunges, like I, I love it. I love that we're, you know, as a society, or at least a small culture within society is, is starting to embrace that stress is good. Stress has gotten us as an apex predator, you know, to the point where we're at because, you know, we're adaptable, we find stressors, but we adapt too much that we, you know, almost probably just take the stress out completely
0: right in so healthy stressors are amazing that's how we survived for however many million millions excuse me of years um but it is funny we've got heating and air conditioning and as a first world country we have warm water and now you're seeing these especially in the high performer realm but people paying what could be an astronomical amount to others to go to a place where they can be hot as fuck and uncomfortable to the way they're almost about to pass out and then they follow that up with an ice cold bathtub or an ice cold tub which no one would ever want to go into I remember thinking I remember hearing about polar plunges when I was younger I'm like who the fuck would do that or uh, the polar bear club it's like the first of January and people are going in Mm -hmm. jumping into the ocean and little do I know they were doing something amazing for themselves and starting the year off in the best way and I'm here living in my creature comforts of hot water and yeah yeah, it's just it's it's too funny how how that came come full circle yeah so and as we oh sorry and then the, the last the
1: last nighttime thing that I've talked yeah talked, oh, a, 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 yeah, talked a, a little bit about and this is for busy mind um is that that stimulation device and um, uh, from mind alive and this was from uh, special operations buddies that were starting to embrace it. Um, it, it looks, it looks like something that you, you know, you could hack together. Um, but it is a, a nighttime routine that I absolutely love. Um, but it is a, a pair of goggles that have, uh, different light sequences that are hitting your brain in a different way. Um, and then it has headphones, uh, that are hitting binaural, um, uh, wavelengths and, um, setting, um, a protocol for sleep, uh, it basically for me just takes, it's almost the, it's a sensory overload to a degree that I, even if I did have a busy mind or if I was, you know, racing through thoughts, you, I mean, you're, you're, you can't even think and then, um, drift off to sleep in a, in a very rapid, rapid succession. So that's, has uh, um, been something that I've been embracing and having a lot of fun with. And what was it called again? Uh, you, you the the, the one it? that I use is from mm-hmm. Mind Alive. And they have, oh, no, no, no. they have the opposite sleep protocol to, for getting into a meditative state to getting into a flow state. Uh, but the, the, the notion of it is through sound and through light sequences that you are getting your brain into um, learning meditative um, sleep environments uh, more frequently.
0: And so <clears throat> for the listeners out there, I've been fortunate enough to see this device. I've been fortunate enough to put this device on and and see what it's capable of. But if you were to imagine, and, and I don't want to dumb this down at all, but for me to really simplify what this looks like is if you were to imagine a someone wearing goggles or glasses that has... Um, essentially what you might even see at like a rave but little led lights or lights on the outside that would be flashing outwards in a you know a concert scenario these are lined on the inside of the lenses so these lights are flashing almost in a strobe pattern with a light pattern that puts you into at least for me it felt like i was beginning to go into the vortex of a whirlpool and when johns saying that it makes it easier to go to sleep or at least clear a busy mind i was i was unable to think about anything in particular because as soon as my mind would go to one thought i would just be going back down this hole and and i didn't i haven't used it as much as you for sure and I didn't use it for an hour, but if, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, I almost felt as though it was a, a disassociative. Like I just, who I was, was gone. And I was in this vortex and it cleared anything, whether it was positive or negative, a stressor, a deadline. I couldn't even think about it because I was so focused on this. Like Yeah, without without a better term, this whirlpool that I was just kind of circling through. Um, so I imagine that if you used it for a longer amount of time, you may either fall asleep with them on, or you get to that heavy eye stage where you know to take them off and then you're just out. But y- you can uh, you can elaborate for me.
1: No, no, that, that's, that's, for me, it's very accurate. You know, Whether it's I'm doing a protocol for meditating, doing a protocol for creativity, or doing a protocol for sleep, Um, it, it takes the, it takes the ability, uh, are we frozen? It takes the ability, uh, for me to, to let my mind wander and, and just be insanely present in nothingness. And I'm sure with proper meditation coaches or, you know, getting to that point, and maybe this is a cheat to get there, but fuck it. You know, it, it helps me, it helps me get there that much, uh, that much faster where I'm just in a you're you're it just like for me just gives a your brain just time to relax like it's just like you're awake but the brain's turned off like you're just you're just kind of there
0: yeah. um, so when you said the uh the meditative cheat i forgot to mention this to you and this was uh an exciting thing for me maybe this could absolutely be related to the goggles or the device um but i try to practice meditation as much as possible there's weeks where i don't do it some weeks i do it seven days out of seven um after using those, this was last night. <clears throat> I actually had a um, a fifty minute meditation where it felt as though I was seeing those lights when I was about twenty minutes in, and I almost got to where it felt like I was was spinning, like almost like not dizzy but I was going down the vortex and what I was seeing in my mind I've never had this ever I've never had this happen before but it was very similar to what I was being loaded into with the goggles so whether that was the training wheels to to make a bridge connect for me for clearing out who I am and and becoming nothing within my headspace um, I, I can't say yes or no but it was eerily similar to what I was seeing when I got up I was like holy shit that's crazy. Like, I've, I've in however many years I've been doing this, I've never had an experience like that. Like, I, I now can see why people meditate. It was an it was an unreal experience. That's super interesting because I like
1: I have now that I have them, mm-hmm. I just use them. Yeah, religiously. I haven't mm-hmm. not used them, and so now now I'm curious. Check it out. To, yeah, I'm curious to see what that what that'll be if if my if that has been a, a training wheel or um, gives you something to achieve.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Check it out and let me know. And, and I want to be so I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything else in the daily routine? So we we talked about how the day goes lifting weights in the evening. That's what you prefer to do. The unwind for going to bed. Is there anything else that you put to practice or that you'd recommend for someone else out there in a way to not necessarily
1: copy your layout, but items to have structured into their day? Um, so something that I'm, I'm currently implementing for myself and across the team is being the master of your day, not let your day run you is, is crazy important to be any type of high performer. Um, if you're in a reactionary state, as we talked about before, like you're, you're not going to get the things that you uh, need to get done. Uh, being an entrepreneur, being a business person, you know, there's things that are going to come in, but the more you can uh, define the outcomes of your days through goals or measurable success, the better. And there's something that I'm currently implementing. Um, so far, I like it. Uh, I can't give you a, 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 a three-year testament to it, uh, but it, like, are you familiar with like the Eisenhower Matrix um, no. and how to plan out your day? Um, so, so simply
0: put, the, oh, the, I, I believe so. But, but let's, yeah, but please explain. Not everyone well, is, and this is so, about. Well, so
1: I mean, so so simply put, like you have. Um, you build out your project management tool or you build out your calendar um, and, and you have do schedule delegate delegate or delete and these are these are different tasks that you have gone through some sort of um, decision making matrix that these are things that people are telling you to do that you know you need to do so do schedule delegate or delete Um, Those are basically your your columns of where a task or something needs to be. And then you go a step further. um, And and so in those different columns, your do is basically you have identified it as urgent and important. Your schedule tasks are not urgent, but important, and your delegate is urgent, not important. And so what this is doing for me is helping me prioritize. If it is urgent and important, that's at the top of my calendar that I have to do tomorrow. Like I fuck the end of the week. Like, I, like I'll like i get it done by the end of the week. No, if, it, if it's urgent, I mean, unless it's a multi-day task and you're building a proposal and, you know, whatever, like, no, like scheduling things at the end of the week drives me nuts. Like if it's urgent and important, get it done, get it done that day. And so for me, Like prioritizing my tasks in those, in those different columns, do schedule delegate, um, is, is, is helping me master my day. Um, and you know, if you, if you're in your schedule column, if you have not urgent, but important, and it's just there, it's, you're just in this perpetual, like your schedule, your schedule column is just growing and growing and growing. Like, all right, you need to go back through and prioritize it. If it is if it's you know not urgent meaning it needs to be done today but it's important then why the fuck aren't you doing it? Um, so if it's been in that you know schedule column for too long okay well maybe it 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 needs to be delegated does somebody else on your team um, possess the skills to do it? Does somebody on Upwork have the ability to do it? Like if it's if it hasn't been actions, delegate it. And if you haven't delegated it, delete it. Like you know but these you know having this this growing list of action items or a task list or a new task list and um, that's not properly um managed and you just get a small little dopamine hit from you make yourself a little task list and you check it off and you're like, oh look at me, I drew a fucking line through it. Great, okay, like you know, that works for some people, but are you are you getting the urgent and important things done? um, in an effective manner. So the, the things called Eisenhower matrix, like there, there's all sorts of different templates, um, for, uh, constructing it. So, uh, that's, uh, um, uh, something that I'm using to, to master, uh, master my day.
0: I will, uh, <clears throat> I will absolutely connect a, a link to that in the show notes. And, um, do you have, I mean, you've got a shitload of responsibility right now and you're traveling around the globe and you're meeting with, executives and going through trainings and putting on trainings
1: do you have bad days um no and i say that (laughs) from a perspective standpoint um however having having a perspective to like is this is this that bad um is something that I'm, i'm losing a little bit and you know, and then when we were talking about the, the dude sleeping on my front porch, like, you know, is, is that what I'm looking for is, is this that bad type of reaffirmation in my life? And it, it's so far, it's not um, just being from the, the place that I've seen the the tasks that I've done, the, the, the engagements that I've had, um, it, I, I have a unique perspective in the sense that I can, if I'm feeling agitated, if I'm feeling pissed off, I mean, like, all right, am I getting shot at our mortars coming in? Um, am I sleeping in the dirt? You know, like eh, this isn't that bad. And for me, like it has been a while since I've been overseas. So that is starting to taper off and I've, I'm noticing it that I'm, I'm getting more agitated or annoyed about certain things. Um, one thing that has taken me a while to, to get around, um, especially being an entrepreneur, um, being, you know, owning a business is failure is okay. Um, as long as you learn from it, adapt to it, don't make the mistake again and, and keep on going and looking at business as a, um, as a game or something as a, as a competition, uh, versus a definition of who I am has also helped me do it. Like I am, I am purposefully choosing, to start my own businesses. I am making a conscious choice to do this. And so the stressors that are coming in are a bar- byproduct of me making this decision to be an entrepreneur, to start my own businesses. Do I, you know, i worked at Google. Like, and uh, that was not for me. Like I, that was, you know, like I, I want those. And so if I have a stressful day of, you know, this, that, or the other, I'd be like, this is a conscious choice. Like you can go back to you know, a easy life and, you know, make a couple hundred grand and, you know, work for somebody else. But like, that's, that's not what I want. And so those between having perspective of a prior life lived and the decisions that I'm doing and the stressors that are a byproduct of it are, are my decision just help me kind of look through the, um, look through the, the bad, the bad shit. Um, and you know, the, the I guess the, la- the last point in that is I have also, um, constructed my life right now where it is, it is all around business. And I don't have, um, I don't have, you know, social obligations. I don't have, uh, marital obligations. I don't have children obligations. So it's easy for me to, um, like I don't have those stressors and those are, those are different level stressors that, uh, might impact people, um, that I just, I have purposefully engineered and architected out of my life, um, for the time being
0: so that uh, that is so valuable what you just said for hopefully every listener that we have out there and the reason that it's valuable is because it really affected me and i forget when i'm in some shit or i'm with a frustrating person or i'm waiting on a check whatever it could be and i'm thinking fuck you know I'm, i am definitely taking a hard path and sometimes i wonder like is it worth it? I could be, I look at some of my friends working 10 hours a week and they're cush and they're working for someone else, but they're making pretty damn good money. Mm I'm thinking, is the juice really worth the squeeze? And what you just said, I need to remind myself, no one's forcing me to take this path. And I signed up for this path. And what happens on the path, I'm choosing to push this direction, but it's not who I am as a person. It's a, a decision and a direction that I want to go. So, um, I learned something today, or I was reminded of something today. So thank you very much for that. Good. Good. And um, as we as we wrap this up, um, any are there any products, any hotel hacks, flight hacks, boardrooms and airports? Is there anything that has impacted you recently where you thought, man, I should have been doing this a long time ago for the business travelers out there, um, delegating, whatever that is? Anything special that you would uh, leave our listeners with?
1: Well, I think we need to do we need to do a part two um, on so. on that specifically because um, there's there is and a hundred percent and even you know I'm implementing across my team um, to there, I mean there's there yeah we, we need to do we need to do a continuation um, you know because it is from expanding your network you know making a new connection a week um, you know start within your your own circle um, and, and then start expanding out from there um, and seeing how you know just just, just nurturing uh, your, your network is going to go. Uh, our embracement of um, AI in, in every workflow uh, that we have in, in business and you know, forcing my team to um, look at the KPIs of how it is optimizing or if it's a swing and a miss, so be it. But how can you take you know, the different tools, the different resources um, that are available now uh, to to amplify your to amplify your life um, whether it's personally or professionally. Um, you know so I have, a, I have a laundry list of things that are great, things that are moderate, things that are failed um, that are that, you know, happy to uh, happy to share and then uh, yeah same thing on, on, on travel so let's uh, let' let's do a, let's do a continuation.
0: We'll have to do a continuation and um, is there it could be something that just happened something that's some upcoming, maybe a recent win. Um, what are you most excited about in this moment?
1: Um, coming off a couple, uh, we just won another large um, uh, defense-related uh, research and development contract. Uh, that was uh, um, ideation amongst the team um, from ideation submission to award uh, was a super super short condensed timeline uh, that just uh, just realized last week. Uh, so that was phenomenal. Um, last week I was uh, I did a. Uh, a turn and burn to to London um, and to to really nurture a, a relationship that I wanted to, um, but for a, a international trip, um, you know, spent six hours on the ground before I flew home and, you know, but those are, um, those relationships and those uh, connections and those insights um, are, I really stood in the stage for this next evolution of the company that I, that I want to, uh, want to take. So super excitable experience. Um, Tonight, um, I'm taking – or tomorrow morning, um, I'm flying to uh, uh, Hanover, flying into Boston, heading to Hanover, New Hampshire, um, uh, starting a two-week executive leadership course uh, that Dartmouth puts on. Um, This is a – something I haven't done before, uh, but I am extremely excited. Uh, the cohort of execs from all different walks of life, all different verticals um, are either their companies investing in them. Uh, they're investing in themselves. This is not a cheap uh, um, uh, experience, uh, but it is two weeks full immersion. Um, I got our our schedule a couple days ago and it is zero eight to basically eight o'clock at night with some white space in between to include weekends. Um, and this is just full immersion. So now like I'm in that point where I want to do this, like, this is, this is amazing. I also have two businesses that are happening at the same time. So like, all right, like time to, time to get this done. Like, you know, now I'm in a a eight, 10, 12 hour day program for, uh, for leadership coupled with my responsibilities. Like, you know, this is like exciting scary uh, but it is it, it's valuable enough for me um to where I want to take my companies that I need to start looking past an entrepreneurial mindset and start really embracing you know uh, uh, executive um um executive level decision making at at larger companies and uh, so super excited about that
0: that's uh, exciting is an understatement and uh, I I'm personally excited so this is um We talked about being 21 and having the hard pivot, and I've watched at times up close. I've watched at times from far, but your development from 21 to 30 was um, inspirational, to say the least. And watching you grow from 30 to now, um, I'm incorporating this, you just recently turned 40, that was mind blowing and it, it felt as though there was an acceleration. So to watch, you know, to watch you go from a change in plan from here to here, that was a big deal. Now we're really pinning it. I cannot wait to see what is going to take place from 40 to 50. This is where you're absolutely going to hone in as a powerhouse based off experience, drive. And experience is a big one and knowing, as we said, you know, failure is there, failure is not really an option as if we look at it as a learning lesson. And turning a failure we kept two options with it is it a is it a fine or is it a fee now a fine sucks a fine is like fuck. i just got a speeding ticket it's 500 bucks if we turn it into a fee and that's a learning lesson of i'm not going to speed again because it cost me 500 but that was a 500 lesson so i'll never experience this again i'll never I'll never have wasted time you've got that working for you with your um with your experience in multiple realms so um just Need to reiterate, couldn't be more excited for you. Couldn't be more excited to see where you're going. We absolutely have to do an episode two. And as always, um, if you want to get a hold of me, it's info at constructingsuccess.fm. If you have any questions for John, If you have anything you want me to ask him about, any show notes or ideas for where you'd like him to take episode two, please reach out to me. And then John, how can our listeners find you? What's your preferred way to be contacted?
1: So right now I have... Extremely undervalued um, social. It is something that I have not invested in within uh, uh, within my organizations. I think we're at a good point uh, now to really do it, and I have some initiatives that, that we're actively doing. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know that yeah. is that's that's the best way for me right now, and that's where I continue to keep kind of people updated on the the su- successes of wins of both companies. Uh, we will be um, investing on both organizations in. Um, some community engagement uh, in, the, in the months to come. Um, like obviously a very powerful tool, but it's just something that we have not embraced uh, as an organization yet.
0: And if you follow me on LinkedIn, go into my connections, and it's John Chapman. And John, so this is your first time on the show. I always close out with a, uh, a lyric from a, an old song. It was a commencement speech that was put together for a song. Um, and I promise that I did not tee this up, but it, it keys into the uh, recent birthday that you had. So as I exit, this is just for, for the listeners out there that may be feeling unsure or may not know what their next step is in, in their path of life, but it uh, goes something like this. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what you wanna do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I I know still don't know what they want to do. And with that, John, you absolutely know what you want to do. I cannot wait to watch. Hopefully, I'm closer than further as you continue to be successful with your endeavors. Any
1: questions for me before I let you go? No, man. Keep on uh, keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, I know you're holding yourself to a commitment of, of 52 episodes. Like, 52 episodes. Yeah. yeah. Keep uh keep at it, man. This is uh important what you're what you're spreading, and uh, and I hope your listeners appreciate the the amount of time that you put in and and, and making content. Uh, it's awesome.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. And from constructing success, we will see you later. Thank you very much.